everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lunar Crush Live. We're really excited today. We've got a couple of members from the Dash community and the Dash team here, and uh, we're, we're really excited to talk to them. A bunch of great questions have come in, um, and we're going to get to it. But first, John's going to walk you through a little bit of what we've seen from the social side. Great. Thanks, Joe. And uh, welcome, everyone, to our Dash live stream. We're super excited to have a couple members of the Dash community here today. But uh, so first, I'm going to go through some of the um, different metrics that we're seeing um, on uh, LunarCrush.com for Dash. And so um, I have the last week pulled up right here. Let's just stick with the last week for now, and I'll just go through kind of what we're seeing. So we're seeing social volume um, accelerate. So 106%, um increase over last week. What that's doing is that's actually counting the number of mentions of Dash. Um, that includes the ticker Dash, includes Dash Pay, um, and includes anything Dash related, really. Um, and that's across not just Twitter, but also um, Reddit, uh, YouTube, Medium, and uh, lots of other sites out there that we're collecting from. Um, and those are all kind of just the posts that contain that term. Um, when we get a little bit deeper, when we look at social engagement, we're seeing some pretty big spikes here, up as high as almost 2.2 million engagements per hour. Um, what engagement's looking at is that's looking at the depth of activity within those posts. So things like comments and retweets, um, upvotes on Reddit and things like that, um, we're, we're actually looking at all the depth of that. And what's really exciting about that is, um, you know, if there's not, it's, it's pretty hard to trick that, let's put it that way. Um, it requires a lot of people to be talking a lot about things. Um, and so the fact that we're seeing a 70.1% weekly increase is pretty big. Um, we're also seeing that uh, social contributors, this is the individual users that are posting. Um, so this isn't like, you know, where volume could be a few people posting a lot, um, contributors is the number of unique individuals that are posting. And we're seeing that that number is also up 46.7% this week. So social activity is pretty hot. Um, it's looking good. And um, I'll add also just a couple more things here. Social dominance. Um, this is the percentage. You know, we, when we think of market dominance or market cap dominance, this is the social variant of that, where uh, we're seeing that um, the number of total posts that Dash has relative to the entire cryptocurrency uh, community. And so as of right now, I mean, this very moment, it is 0.09% of all posts that are coming out over the last week, it's been as high as 1.22%. So it varies over time. Um, we're also seeing that a lot of these posts that we're collecting, so we use machine learning and AI to understand um, whether something's uh, very bullish to very bearish, or if it's spam. And we see that uh, the bullish posts are, are up a lot. So 132% weekly increase on, on bullishness out there. Um, so it's been a great week. And um, when we look, uh, at who is actually posting these things and who is getting the most engagement. Um, we also track um, individual influencer activity. So we see IPO, Tweet, Ram, Stillman, Trimble with Greed. Uh, we've been posting this live stream a few times, so we're up there. Dash Help Me, C4 Chaos, Charlie, Zvibbleman, I can't say that very well, Sentiment in the Street. Um, so these are, these are individuals that are posting a lot and getting a lot of engagement about Dash out there. Uh, we also see we have our brand new Dash tile here, and this is um, representing some information about the project. And so you can go on there and learn more. Um, with that, let's bring our guests in today. Hey, guys. 
Sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Um, welcome. Um, cool, guys. Always like to start. Ernesto, Joel, where, you know, maybe Joel, we could start with you. Where, where are you in the world? You know, what's happening there and what's your role in the community? And then Ernesto, you can, you can go after. Yeah. So right now I'm in New Hampshire, which um, has been sort of nicknamed New Dash here by some people because of just how many people can uh, use cryptocurrency in their daily lives around here. So I've been living entirely off of cryptocurrency since late 2015. Uh, it's been exclusively Dash since late 2016, the year which I also closed my bank account. And I've been sort of you know doing that ever since. And for a few years, I worked um, for the Dash Decentralized Autonomous Organization. This year, I've kind of made more of a foray into independent journalism and content creation stuff, but I'm still very, you know, Dash is the money I use in day-to-day -day life. In fact, um, I went, too bad I threw out the cup today, but I just bought my coffee with Dash down the street, and it would have been a nice little prop to show. <laughs> wow. Very cool. I think we're going to get deep. We'll get deeper in the, into that as we kind of move along. But Ernesto, tell us about yourself. What's your uh, role within the organization and with the Dish community? Yeah. Uh, first of all, guys, thank you for having us. It's, it's great to share with you and your audience um, and to know more also about what you guys are doing, the metrics that you guys measure and the way it, you help us know who's talking about what. It's, it's really useful. So thank you. Um, well, my, my name is Ernesto Contreras. I'm Venezuelan. I live in Mexico, but I came to Venezuela for three weeks of work uh, in the first days of March, and I've been here since uh, that time. So um, I'm now in Venezuela, and what I do is I work with the Dash Core Group uh, as head of business development. And, you know, we are one of the companies that work for the Dash Network. And you know, I lead the the business development growth um, from there. Uh, we're completely decentralized. So in Dash Core Group, there's people in Europe, in North America, and Latin America. And personally, I'm I'm a I'm an engineer. I've been working in consumer product and tech for about 16 years, and I've been working full time in crypto since 2017. Initially, I was about a year with the largest exchange in Latin America. And then I had the privilege of, of joining Dash uh, as the business development team. And, and, you know, we've been doing a lot of stuff since, and we'll talk more about it. Very cool. Well, well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you guys getting on here. And, you know, as I was kind of looking through a little bit of the history of Dash and, you know, Dash has, has been around even before, you know, I, I joined, you know, cryptocurrency and, and joined this industry. And it's, you know, I think some people, you know, might not know, everything about kind of the history is like a Bitcoin fork and, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, whoever wants to kind of take this one and talk just a little bit about like the history of, of Dash. And I mean, Joel, you've been using it for so long, um, mm -hmm. you know, like just what, like maybe what are some of the properties and some of the basics around it that, you know, maybe, maybe people don't understand. Yeah. So to go back, you know, a long time ago, I got into cryptocurrency general in 2013, when I moved up here to New Hampshire and someone actually paid for their part of a pizza in Bitcoin. And that's how I first got some, which is, you know, of course it had to be pizza, right? right. And around here, there's a, a movement of people called the Free State Project that's, uh, they're very into freedom in general and they were all super enthusiastic about actually using Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And it wasn't until uh, 2000, in 2014 at some festival, someone was selling 
bacon pancakes for dark coin, which was, you know, uh, in the past, a, the past branding for dash. And I kind of caught my eye. And then it was, it wasn't until the end of 2016 when I actually started to uh, uh, pay attention to dash when my way of life of you using cryptocurrency in everyday life was a little bit more difficult with Bitcoin. So dash started as, I mean, its first you know, major iteration was to basically improve the privacy of transactions of Bitcoin. But then pretty soon it became uh, clear that a better path forward would be to basically solve some of these other payment related problems. And so then, you know, the Dash rebrand, I believe, was, you know, 2014 or 15. And then it basically became much more geared, geared towards payments and then solving a bunch of other issues, including governance or making decisions that, you know, the lack thereof has caused the many Bitcoin forks to happen. And so basically, um, Dash is digital cash. And I basically at every juncture, it's been addressing and solving outstanding issues that cryptocurrency payment systems do have with it, with, you know, being able to just transact normally. And so, yeah, that's kind of the abbreviated history of Dash right there. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. You, you know, it's, it's, it's really like one of the oldest DAOs or at least the, the structure of, yeah. of having some governance there and, and putting that together. Um, and, you know, I, I think I remember even Dash being, you know, in one of the top five, you know, market cap cryptocurrencies. And I, mean, I think it was top three for like a few days at one point. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And like it, there's been a lot of adoption, um, you know, and going through this, we saw, you know, Dash is accepted in thousands of locations. It looks like there is somewhat of a focus in Latin America and, and Southern America. I mean, or South America. I mean, what like Ernesto, what, what, tell us a little bit about the the lead into that um you know utilizing it as digital cash and you know the rebrand came and then it's going down that that path i mean what's it been like to kind of grow this thing and kind of get it get it you know accepted in all these different places yeah well everyone that's uh involved in crypto knows that peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash uh dream you know and and as joel said uh we've worked for about five years already to be um, available as digital cash. So um, in Dashcore Group, as one of the entities working for Dash, we understood a long time ago that this doesn't mean that it will be cash for everyone everywhere. So we said, well, where are a few industries or verticals where we can focus and we can actually solve a problem that exists? Um, you know, in many, in, in many crypto projects, um, people are working to develop products and then go and find solutions. So we did the other approach and we said, well, where is a payment problem that we can solve with cryptocurrency and with Dash in particular? So about two years ago, we found out that there were five industries where we can try to focus and solve. They were, of course, crypto trading. They were cash-heavy industries, mostly the cannabis industry in the U.S., because uh, these companies cannot open bank accounts. There's remittances, of course. There's broken economies, such as Venezuela, and there's gaming. So after working an iteration, we've found that we've gotten 
some good traction in two of these verticals, cryptocurrency trading and Venezuela. And that's where we focus 80% of our time. We're also doing some efforts in remittance and gaming, and we dropped the cash heavy industries because we found as we were going to our integrators and point of sale providers that merchants and people were solving the problem in other ways. So that's why you've seen that, you know, we focus a lot on trading and we just announced something that uh, we called FastPass. And in Venezuela, where we're building an ecosystem where more people are, you know, looking at Dash and using it as a means of payment, just like Joel bought his coffee in New Hampshire. Well, we're putting Dash in front of thousands of people every week and telling them, hey, you know, here in Venezuela, because of the inflation problems, the dollar is everywhere. But just last week, I went to buy a bunch of ham and cheese at a bakery and I had to pay $16.7. So I took out my 20 and the guy didn't have any change. So what happens there is that they either force you to spend the 20 or you, are, and I lost it, but you know, they give you a little like the, your purchase ticket and they sign on it. Hey, uh, John Farho owes Ernesto $3 and then I have to go back with the ticket. And the reason I don't have the ticket is because I lost it. So that is one reason why we're pushing uh, Dash as a payments option in Venezuela. And that has another upside because people are saying, hey, I can also put some of my money here. So, you know, we're killing two birds with one stone saying, hey, it is a means of uh, a store of value option for people. And it's also a payments option. So that complements everything that is happening in the crypto world. And that is the reason why you're seeing that we focus a lot on FastPass, which is trading, and Venezuela, which is really using Dash as money. That's really, really interesting to see that. So is the reason that, I mean, you're literally getting an IOU from a, like a like somewhere that you're going to spend money. Is it because they don't want to have cash on hand because by the time they're getting that cash, it's potentially losing some value because of the inflation. And so they're just like, I'm not holding any cash whatsoever. And so if you want to transact in that, they're like, here's the IOU because the, the you know, the fiat cash that I would give you is, is worth nothing. Yeah. I mean, what, what happened here in Venezuela is the mix of many huge problems, but the result is that right now the largest bill is one seventh of a dollar. So a hundred thousand Bolivars is, you know, you need seven of those to get a dollar and prices because of hyperinflation have more or less become international. So if you want to go and buy a coffee, you're going to pay a dollar and you need seven of these bills, but you go to the ATM and the ATM only gives you two of them. <laughs> So, you know, I would have to go four days to the ATM to get enough money to buy me a coffee. So that means that physical notes are out of a the picture. Then about a year ago, people started using dollars. Okay, that solved some of the problems, but what about change? What about, you know, I don't want to have $300 on my pocket in a place that's also not so safe. So that creates other problems. So what we're seeing is that Dash is a perfect complement to solve some of the payment problem in a broken economy. And, you know, on top of that, you start seeing that, well, um, you know, there, there's a translator that helped us to 
finish some work and how do I deposit the money to this guy because he lives in a country that has other political problems and is blocked. Well, you can use Dash. So, you know, we're working slowly on, work, on solving different problems, all caused by one uh, root cause, financial problems. So, you know, and, and we've had our ups and downs and we signed up about two years ago, was it, Joel, that there were like 2,000 merchants and then we found out that it's very difficult to uh, serve them because that's too many. And then we went to larger points of sale companies and we, we recently uh, onboarded a very large points of sale company that serves supermarkets. And, you know, about two weeks ago, we announced that we are serving one of the largest chain of supermarkets with a direct integration into their system. So, you know, all of this is, is real usage. This is not people that are speculating and, and waiting for the price to improve. Although if it happens, they're happy, but these are other types of problems. Yep, makes a lot of sense. And so you said that's integrated directly into their system. And, and Joel, maybe you can talk about your coffee this morning. I, I, like, how did you exactly purchase that coffee? Yeah, so uh, this has been something that I've kind of seen the evolution of from ground up. Basically, the uh, it's a little French bakery that has a you know a tablet based point of sale system, and there's a separate app that they you know go out of and open called AnyPay, which lets them pay with a bunch of different cryptocurrencies. You scan one QR code, and then whatever uh, cryptocurrency you want to use, it just does that, and it works. It used to not work nearly as well as it does now. It works blindingly fast. As soon as my thumb leaves the send, like the send part of the screen, it just is confirmed and little confetti goes and there you go. It works. Um, the story behind that is at first there, there was a couple of tech entrepreneurs here that loved cryptocurrency a few years ago and they just wanted to spend it around town and there was no way for them to do that. And then they basically set up a few businesses that were friends of theirs with you know regular wallets and just said oh this is how you take a payment and of course then the owner's not there and then they can't pay and, and so basically they just built this cryptocurrency point of sale app called AnyPay from scratch just so they could spend it around town and it's gone through quite a few different iterations and gotten much much better more polished things like that and now there's actually a couple of different uh, point of sale systems that have AnyPay integrated into them. Um, there's one regional one called uh, Arcadia POS, and I believe they're working on a Clover app to get right into like the, the main Clover point of sale system. So we're getting very close to this area where you don't even have to zoom out of that app and open the other one. It's just all going to be integrated. And it's been, you know, it's, that seems to be like the big barrier you see is that one last step of, well, I don't want to zoom out of this one and do this other one. And one thing that's very interesting because everyone's, I mean, there's all so much talk about cryptocurrency adoption. Oh, well, this business takes it here. That one takes it there. And even assuming pure good faith and due diligence, the data is really hard to kind of keep track of because, you know, this is a decentralized world. You can't control how every single person uses it. You can't verify that a business still takes it. And the one thing that I like about the AnyPay system is there's an actual map that they have that's color coded by when it was that the last time the business took a cryptocurrency transaction. And so you can tell if like, oh, this is, 
you can actually tell that it's not, you're not going to walk in and be like, Hey, I want to pay in dash. And they were like, what's that? And it's like, Oh yeah. The last manager two years ago, he left and his phone left with them and it's gone. You can actually see if it's fresh, but also you get to get a real picture of what adoption is like in the real world where a lot of people say, Oh, I heard that in here that everyone's using it. And then how do you really know? I mean, you can't really prove that on a blockchain without a lot of extra data that just isn't in those transactions, thankfully. But with systems like this, you can actually see like, oh, someone's buying something every single week at this place over here with cryptocurrency. Are you seeing are you seeing the businesses keep the dash or are they cashing it in and paying their bills in, in dollars? What are they doing with that that dash they get? Um, it really depends. I think most of them around here are keeping it, which is very, you know, it's very unique. Um, I do uh, jujitsu at a school not far from here and I, they cash it in all like right away. And when I convinced them to take it, it was just, I, I wasn't trying to say, Hey, you know, this cryptocurrency stuff, why don't you hold on to it and see what happens? It's like, that's a little, you know, much risk for a small business in the U S right. I'm sure in somewhere like Venezuela, it's a little bit less risky because just holding the national currency is extremely risky because it's going to go down in value. But um, I have seen, uh, usually what happens is you get some sort of business owner who gets interested in the the currency as a savings technology. They hear, oh, I heard I sh everyone's talking about buying Bitcoin or everyone's talking about, I heard someone talking about inflation going on and I want to get some of that. And then you just say, oh, take it for your business. And then they say, how do I do it? And then it's kind of an owner run kind of a thing where the owner wants to acquire more. So he decides for his business or her business that they control. And so a lot of times I see them, for example, every time they take a cryptocurrency transaction, they will take cash out of their pocket and put it in the till for the business. It'll be like they're buying it. And that's what I see a lot around here because it's a very independent minded part of the world with a lot of small businesses with you know educate with very educated owners who are kind of sole proprietors and things like that now if you're going to like a large business i think things would work a little bit differently especially in different areas yeah i mean that's what we're seeing with with bitcoin right now right mm -hmm. i mean like micro strategy they're they're hoarding bitcoin because they're afraid of inflation and yeah. they think it's a better store of value than holding on to dollars that I'm curious to hear from Ernesto the same answer. Like, but when when Dash is used in Venezuela, what what happens? What are the businesses doing? Yeah, it's very interesting to hear Joel um, share the story of what he's seen in New Hampshire, because I would say that that's a global phenomenon. So what we've seen in Venezuela is that early on, when the Dash team started, you know, going out and knocking doors and saying, "Hey, there's this thing called Dash. Do you want to take it?" Initially, smaller merchants, they were, you know, using their phones mm -hmm. and some are using AnyPay. And then th there's a series of different options that they could use to accept that. What happens is, you know, if you have a small cafe or a, or a bookstore and you're the owner, you can say, well, I'm only getting, you know, 1% of my customers come with Dash. So since it's a small amount, I'm going to hold it or huddle it. Uh, but then when you start going to larger merchants and, you know, it's not, you know, Ernesto calling the shots, then you start needing other solutions. Let me quickly share my screen and show you how uh, this supermarket is working, because I believe this is the evolution of, you know, what happens when you go beyond 
having different screens to pay with crypto or the phone, and you integrate it directly into the payout system. So let me know when you can see my screen. Yep, you're gonna have to go to your other tab. Yep. <clears throat> there can you go. All right, so this is me actually paying in the supermarket. So, you know, you go to the store and you select your product and then the person goes and take out their monitor. This is the same system and instead of selecting uh, to pay with cash, they say cash or digital cash. And then uh, they press accept and there's a QR code. This particular screen didn't turn so I had to move a bit around, but the other ones, they have two screens. And then I'm telling them how I'm just pressing press. This was the first transaction before I mentioned. So there I go press and they confirm. Wow. Very nice. Welcome so to the future. What, what, what was that, con so in a situation like that, confirmation is a really big deal. How long does that take to confirm? Well, in this case, when you pay with Dash, it takes about three or five seconds if your phone is ready. The way they set it up, they I sent they send me the QR code, and on the two-sided uh, cashiers, you, you don't need to turn. This was on the pharmacy because I did a run on different places. So on this one, you scan, and then they press that it's been paid, and it confirms. So it's about three seconds in total. And you know what's really cool about this is that it makes it very easy for the cashier to use it. And it's starting to, you know, this merchant processes more than a million transactions a month. So what we're having is that people that are walking by and they're seeing Joel pay with this phone and they're like, hey, what is that? And then you're exposing this to more people and, and you know, we'll grow into more of this type of integration and they complement the other types of integrations that Joel is describing. And we also have in Venezuela, you know, the coffee shop, the bookstore, they are all close to the supermarkets. So eventually we hope that we'll have more and bigger ecosystems where people will be exposed to this thing called cryptocurrency. And, and through Dash, they will see that they can not only solve their problems of payments for today, but they can also, you know, start having exposure to other types of, of currency that is better, is decentralized, uh, no government can take it away from them. And that's why we focus here in Venezuela, because unlike, you know, uh, Europe or other places where the economy, I'm going to quote it, is more stable. Everybody's complaining about stability these days. But, you know, here the problems are more evident. Yeah, on the subject of confirmations, because uh, I do remember back in the day when I was living on Bitcoin and I'd have to you know, pay for things. And there was a time at which it, a lot of services started to require a confirmation. And then that confirmation timeline became very hard to predict. And so like I remember mm -hmm. trying to check out a shopping mall, buy a gift card for whatever store I was in. And it's like 20 minutes to an hour later, I'm still walking around waiting for a confirmation so I can go to pay. And because I use Dash for services like BitRefill is one of these great ones that lets you buy a gift card for just about anything, I just buy it and it's, it's instant. And like, for example, I was traveling this last week and just getting an Uber. I'm like, oh, do I have enough Uber credit? 
no and like i'm calling the uber and as he's driving in i'm buying more gift credit with dash and just putting it in the app and it's working like right there i don't have to wait at all and it's easy for if you're say depositing on an exchange as a regular trader kind of a person you don't really see it as much now it but if you're if you're living off this stuff you're using it as money that waiting time really really hits you hard and just the fact that with dash transactions are settled in you know under two seconds usually it just really makes a difference when you're actually in a point of sale real world environment yeah and and just don't forget to mention joel what mm -hmm. happens transaction fees go up two three five dollars then that uber is costing you you know a lot more than it should so you know digital cash works much better yeah there's a friend of mine who has a they opened a a bread delivery service and they accept a few cryptocurrencies as well as cash and about a third or a half of their orders were in bitcoin because that's just what people know about that's what they have and then recently they started to, to see a drop off and customers be like hey i was gonna pay in bitcoin but i realized the fee was going to be more expensive than the bread mm -hmm. and you know, then of course, then you can say, Hey, why don't you switch some of that over to something that just works and is quick and cheap and, you know, actually makes sense to pay people with. So I got a question. If we can go a little bit deeper, Joel, on you decided to start using Bitcoin first, it sounds mm -hmm. like, and then dash. Yeah. Why? Like what was the why behind this? Well, um, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm not a very patient person. And when I hear about concepts i like to tr try them out in the real world and so for example i i learned from a relatively early age about you know the origin of money and things like that and where precious metals came from as a you know a store of value and a medium medium of exchange and then how paper money were originally certificates or ious for that actual gold or silver and then over time they phased it out and then seeing the purchasing power go down and so uh, uh, my father's Mexican and I grew up in the north of Mexico for a while. And I remember my grandmother, after she passed away, were clearing out her house and had all these old peso coins. And from before, you know, the peso crisis of the 90s and just like, what are these? Oh, they're worthless, but they're money. How are they worthless? Well, they, those just, they didn't work out and they just made new ones. And it's like, what? And then always seeing the exchange rate, exchange rate of, you know, when I started, when I was using both currencies, it was seven pesos to the dollar. Now, what is it, Ernesto? Do you know? It's probably 20 to one. Yeah, it's yeah. something like 20, that. And 15. so just seeing prices change in my relatively short life, you know, I just, and it, you don't just accept, at least someone like me doesn't just accept life like that. Like, ah, whatever, our money's bleeding value, even though there's better ways of doing things. So when I started using Bitcoin, I just, you know, got my first Bitcoin, started to, you know, see how it worked. It kind of clicked to me that this is something that could be absolutely huge, that it's not um, liable to be inflated and you can just send it peer to peer. I don't, I think that that was before a lot of payment apps were out there for, you know, fiat currencies and, and just being able to like scan a QR code and send it to someone and they don't have to just download the app and you can get started right away. You don't have to put in your ID, you don't have to do this other stuff. That kind of got me into this. And so after telling people about this thing I was excited about for so long, it just became a, a thing where I started to realize, oh, uh, there's a sense of responsibility because someone might just say, 
oh, I heard this guy is all excited about this future money. I'm going to put my life savings into this stuff. And then it's like, well, I might as well you know, use it and rely on it so I know what I'm talking about. So I can at least sleep at night knowing that whatever I tell people is from my own personal experience. It's not just hypothetical. It's not just, oh, I read some white paper and this sounds cool. It's like I use it in everyday life. So that's kind of why I decided to go cold turkey and just you know, stop accepting fiat currency for payment and just only uh, do cryptocurrency and close my bank account is because they say, be your own bank and all this kind of hype stuff. Well, let's, let's find out. Right. Yeah. Let's act, let's actually do it and just dive headfirst in. And it's really interesting. And it's when you talk about some of these merchants and John's question about who's holding it, who's not holding it. It seems like with dash, it's all about payments. It's mm -hmm. all about speed, but it's still, kind of subject to a, a risk of, you know, is the price going to move around a little bit, which, you know, if you're in Venezuela and you're worried about inflation, maybe not as big of a deal, right? Even if the price cuts in half, you're still like, well, I'm, I'm probably doing a little bit better than something that's inflating. Has there ever been a thought about almost just like a stable coin aspect to it? Um, so let me answer with my, um, you know, bias perspective first, and Ernesto can be to give the responsible adult answer. But <laughs> um, I don't like. I, I understand stablecoins are a tool for people. Uh, with that being said, uh, the entire point of cryptocurrency, or one of the two big points of it, one is you know anyone can transact; you don't need permission. The other is no one can inflate the, cur the currency. So part of the, the, in fact, and that second point is the one that m is most important to most people using cryptocurrencies today. The payments aspect that I rely on is, is a more of a minority right now, but everyone is in, I'm going to buy Bitcoin so that my, my value goes up or at least doesn't go down. And so why would you want to peg your, uh, why would you want to peg your value to a failing currency? Right. Like the dollar has lost over 90 percent of its purchasing power in the last I don't know how many years. And it's like, why do you want to why do you want to lock in your value to something that's going down when the entire purpose of having a digital asset is that it's not kind of tied to those sorts of things? So stable coins, I think, are um, I think that there's something that can be a very useful tool for like a case by case basis sort of thing. Like, for example, um, traders love them because you don't have to actually go in and out to uh, fiat currency and deal with all the expense and the regulation and things like that. It just, you know, you can just sort of lock in the value as you do that. Uh, merchants, um, that's, I, I'd have to actually, I haven't seen that in the wild of merchants using stable coins. And I think it's more of a thing where you can get them to convert money in their bank account right away and then they can spend that, which there are a few solutions you can use that for, or they just, you know, take the risk on some part of it. I like the holding it into a stable coin is like an extra complexity step that merchants don't tend to want to use is in they take crypto, they want it either in their bank or they want to hold on to it. And instead of having like a, a money in the bank, that's not even in the bank, they can't even pay their bills with the stable coin. It, it, it might be, something in the future that people start that's an integrated system i just i haven't seen it yet appreciate that yeah no i set set me up a little bit for a little bit of a softball of you know i think some people are i i saw some posts out there over like well it should be if it's used for payments it should be a stable coin i think people just forget 
it's like you're like Ernesto, you're talking about in Venezuela of people moving to dollars. And it's like, that's like, I could see that being the next step. But what we're talking about is, is moving even further away from that and moving into an arena where you can't inflate the currency. You can't do those things. It's decentralized, it's cross-border, it's global, it's safe. I can move it and you know, the country can't come in and just lock my bank account um, and take my money, which I think sometimes in some countries you're not seeing that and people are like, that doesn't happen, right? But then when you talk to people that live abroad or live in other places outside of you know maybe the US, it happens all the time. It happens in the US as well. I'm sure if you just yeah yeah I've seen some you can just look yeah. at PayPal stories. PayPal took yeah, PayPal. my things, whatever. It's it's all over the place. Yeah, and and you know to to go a bit into the stablecoin debate, it's it all depends on who's using it and who's receiving. You know, if you're a company and you have accounts receivable and you have to pay taxes and you have to you know pay the the supplier, then this company cannot speculate on price and they cannot go to the uh, you know, the, the supermarket can go to the to the guy that sold the milk and say, hey, you know, I got some dash and it went down 20%, so I cannot pay you this week. So in that case, they would probably want to either cash out immediately and give the guy Bolivars. Bolivars is like a hot potato that you pass around. <laughs> or they would try to change it into dollars and save because they have other structures. So it, it's on a case-by-case uh, uh scenario and, and you know this coin one issue with with this new industry is that everybody wants to compare it to the ideal scenario where you would have a decentralized immediate uh not expensive way of transacting money but that doesn't exist at least yet so yeah you can go to a stable coin but when you go to an ERC-20 and then and if on that moment you have the Uniswap thing going on, then boom, you have to pay $5 uh, transaction. Yep. That thing that I bought costed like $2.5. So if I have to pay $5, then you're killing it. So, you know, many people want to compare what exists now to what they imagine on their, you know, supersonics type of future. And, and, you know, what we are doing is that we're making it real right now and we're, we're solving problems with the tools that exist today. And, yeah, it would be ideal because everybody loves volatility when it's going up. But then when it's going down, you get hate messages and say, hey, you know, I bought at this price and now I lost whatever. But when it's going up, you don't get a thank you. That's why <laughs> I never tell people to see this as an investment unless they're aware that they can lose the money. I'm sure Joel has found some way to, you know, uh, cover himself from the down markets. And, and that's what we open up the doors to all these merchants and people that start using crypto in places where stability is the norm. Very cool. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, what are some of the projects and, and some of the kind of offshoots of are people developing uh, like with Dash and, and kind of integrating it into some of the, the tools that they're building? Is it more kind of point of sale type oriented projects that are that are trying to utilize it for the speed? I mean, where do you guys see kind of the most growth right now, you know, with Dash? Yeah, well, th there's different projects doing different things. If you go to dashcentral.org, you will see our treasury. Anybody around the world can go there 
and submit a proposal and say, hey, I want, you know, a hundred dash, uh, which right now is about $7,000 to uh, do this integration so that uh, I can plug in into hotel uh, bookings. Or I want to develop a platform so that people can send and receive dash on uh, feature phones because not everybody has a smartphone. That is actually what a team called Dash Text did out of Venezuela. And then there's teams that are saying, hey, you know, we want to do journalism and talk more specifically about Dash. So then you, you have organizations like the one that Joel used to uh, work with, uh, Dash News, and they evolve around time. So, you know, you start with some things and then you go into the others. But, you know, we've had uh, over 100 teams globally uh, apply for grants here and some continue working after three, four years. Others do, you know, one or two times funding so they can finish a project. There's uh, the, the, there's wallets, there's obviously integration into exchanges, yeah. there's Dash Text, there's Dash Nigeria, there's, there's many different projects. And, you know, in short, that covers points of sale integrations, it covers teams for merchant adoption, it covers technology development. I don't know if, if I missed anything there, Joel. Yeah, well, there's uh, something else that's pretty cool. There's a dash devs.org is a good place to start there. But there's a whole bunch of development happening on uh, Dash Platform, which is the next stage of Dash's evolution. In fact, it used to be called Dash Evolution, that people are building a whole bunch of apps for when that's released on mainnet to do all kinds of cool things. And the one I'm particularly um, interested in and have been sort of helping consult on is, is a... Twitter variant that's basically a Dash-based Twitter that would use Dash identities um, as like a login system and you'd control all your own data so you can't even, you know, you can't get censored and delete your account and everything's gone. And you can actually send money back and forth in that whole thing. And so that's something that I'm particularly very, um, I'm, I'm pretty excited about, but there's a whole bunch of things being built right now. And when this thing goes public, I'm pretty sure that people are going to be very, um, they're going to be very interested to see exactly what happens because that's one of those things that made Ethereum really get popular is it's not just what Ethereum does on its base. It's what you could do on it, that people were just building all kinds of cool things. And Ethereum's had a scaling issue of some kind for, you know, three and a half years, I guess. I don't know how long it's been since there's been some sort of limitations, but it's been a long time. And so imagine if you can start building things like that that run faster, smoother, that don't have those kinds of issues. So that's something that I'm gonna, I'm very excited about. So Dash Cloud, Dash Platform, is this this is more of a, is it a decentralized internet or is it like a DAP, like a framework to build DAPs on top of? Yeah, it's basically a framework to build DAPs on top of. Um, I'm not the most technical person in the world, so I'm not sure how much in detail I could describe, but basically it's a data contract platform. All this was made uh, it was made in order to um, enable the main payments use cases of Dash, where, uh, for example, when you if anyone's used cryptocurrency in you know daily life, you know you have those long ugly hashes you have to you know, copy and paste, you get a new one every time and it's it's a little bit a little ugly. And so Dash has been working on a good solution for usernames, but not in contact lists, but not something 
that's either centralized or something that's really crude and rudimentary, but something that works really well that keeps your privacy. So you, you don't have one username attached to one static address. So everyone knows how much money you have after paying you that you actually have a, a social aspect to it where like I can friend Ernesto and I can keep all our transactions, uh, you know, between us, ourselves, I can pay him. He pays me. I can go see all my transaction history with him, but on the blockchain, you can't actually just see that it's just been the two of us transacting the whole time. And so in order to enable that, they built this thing called dash platform. That's hopefully going to be released on testnet, you know, any week now here. And yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. I've already been, um, sort of one of the alpha testers of the username wallet and it's pretty slick yeah so so to add a little bit more of flavor to that explanation it's the platform puts another layer of usability to Dash. like right now it's very fast and cheap to transact with Dash. and then what happens when you can store um names or when you can store information on the on the website so on the on the on the network, I'm sorry, on the network. So what happens is first um, use case is the names that Joel is saying, but there's many more use cases that we still have not figured out, and we will eventually start seeing when the release is out. So it's kind of a mix of a very powerful payment network with a way of storing data in a decentralized way. So, you know, we've been speaking to people that want to use it for logistic purposes. We've also seen some people that say, oh, this is good for ID purposes. Of course, there's the payments. So, you know, it, for example, in order for you to comply with remittances, you need to make sure that you follow the FATF rules, which says, you know, Joe is sending me money from the U.S. and he sent me five bucks. So they're five bucks from the U.S. and they're sent from Joe to Ernesto in Venezuela and the, the the sender and the receiver both need to have a, a transaction uh, record. So if, if somebody says, hey, this was illegal money, you can say, no, this was Joe from Ernesto. So uh, with this platform, there is the possibility that somebody builds a decentralized app that is compliant with current regulations for those that want to uh, solve for that use case. But what, just like Joel said, what's really, really cool is that uh, the, the, the platform will be out live and more people will be able to see it and say, oh, I can build this solution for this other problem that I have with all these tools. So this is just the beginning. Names are the starting point and the, the first release that we're working on. And we're sure that many, many more people will come up with really neat solutions. Something you just said about um, a transaction record, and and I thought of Joel uh, living off of Dash. Mm -hmm. and you're in you're in New Hampshire. How do you deal with taxation and all the you, transactions and all of that? I mean, you're obviously buying. Did you buy a long time ago? And you're having to deal with every transaction. And I'd, I'd be curious to hear more. Well, uh, let's just speak more in hypotheticals that there are ways of doing this kind of stuff, and that's one of the reasons why. Um, something like this, like Dash Platform and all this is so important is because it makes this kind of stuff much more feasible, much more um, user-friendly to where you can just say, all right, here's my list. Here's all the transactions I did. No one can see this big transaction list between users except me and you, the other user. Just export it. There you go. 
in in the old address copy paste new address every time kind of a world you have to actually you know go to say an accounting firm there's a few that like for example node 40 is a good one where you can actually you have to actually export your extended public keys and they sort through things and do the calculations for you and all this kind of stuff but it's like for an individual to just it, it's the equivalent of like the granny with the box of old receipts dating back five years being like, how do I do my taxes? And just like, no idea how to do it. You need like a professional with like sorting through in the dungeon, just like trying to make sense of all this. And so that's kind of the, the state of cryptocurrencies like today is it's sort of like, um, like a bunch of cash transactions with a bunch of crudely scribbled little IOUs and paper receipts. And you're trying to match things to to everything and make sense of it. And so, yeah, it is it is challenging today, but things like this will make it much less challenging for people in the future to kind of, you know, try to do what I do. Well, and it's and it's a certain way in the US, it's obviously a certain different way in Venezuela. How is taxation for crypto handled there? Well, what funnily enough, Venezuela has a very complete uh, law framework for crypto because the government launched their own cryptocurrency, the Petro. So, you know, without going into politics, in order for them to be able to release their own token, they had to complete some of the, of the regulations. And what happens is that because companies can also use dollars, US dollars, then they take all of their uh, payment methods and they write that down as if it were bolivars at today's exchange rate so let's say you know let's say that that you know you you i buy something that costs one dash which right now is 70 dollars and let's say that you know the exchange rate was 10 to 1 so they would write they would take my dash and they they receive 700 bolivars so it doesn't matter what payment they take in they write it down in their books as the exchange rate of bolivar and that's how it works here in venezuela so it's different and to joel's point what's really cool about platform is that you'll be able somebody will be able to build this decentralized app and as they start getting transactions they can record some of them on the cloud they don't need to record the full transaction they can just hash it and then whenever they need to submit their taxes or stuff they can prove with the hashes that they actually did receive one dash and the exchange rate was X. So this is, you know, a, a very, very modern and, and new type of way of working with payments and data. And it will still remain, you know, uh, private for people so that, you know, you don't need to uh, worry about putting all your tax receipts on the cloud. Um, so, you know, it can be hashed, but it all depends on what the developers will do. So it's, it's definitely, that's why we called it a platform because it will enable many things that we still didn't even think about. Very exciting. Well, I'm most excited about your decentralized Twitter. That sounds really, really cool. Yeah, lots of Lots of issues there right now. Tell me about it. <laughs> To say, to say the least. And so, I, guys, I know we're coming up on the hour here and, and you did want to talk. I know we talked about it a little bit, but is there anything else you wanted to cover around some of the adoption efforts in, in Venezuela and, yeah, and well, kind of what's we, happening there? We covered there? mostly of uh, the, the project we've been working on. And, and, you know, something that's really interesting about Dash is that because we're a DAO, 
anybody can go to dashcentral.org and propose a plan for growth. So, you know, we at Dash Core Group, we focused on trading and uh, what Venezuela means, which is, you know, a lot of Latin America. But, you know, we have communities in Nigeria. We have a large community in Thailand. We have people in also in the DAC countries, Germany and Switzerland. And, you know, if anybody's interested in, in doing stuff and, and growing their crypto projects, they can go to Dash and dashcentral.org and, and be part of the community. So, you know, it's not only about business development and marketing. We've also funded um, wallets and, you know, the Dash network has also funded uh, exchange integrations. So, you know, there's lots of entrepreneurs there that are working in crypto projects and sometimes they're cash short. You know, they can come to Dash and get a little bit of cash to complete that project and help them, you know, take cryptocurrency adoption to the next level. Everyone talks about holding and not spending your crypto, but if you don't use it, you're not helping the ecosystem, you know, develop solutions. So yeah, it's, it's good to, to try to make uh, some of the upside, but the upside will come only if the ecosystem and the usage and the solutions come. Yeah, I'll let a little twist to that as well. Um, a lot of people say, well, why don't you just hodl? Why do you spend? Because if I if I didn't spend, I'd have to hold. I'd have to hodl some fiat currency that goes down in value over time. So why not? You know, like say you have, you have to have let's say a thousand dollars in your account at any time in order to just do spending on you know regular things. It's like that's an extra thousand that you're not hodling that you could hodl, but then spend from at any period of time. And um, also a lot of people. Still talk about you know hodl and then value what do you do with value you have to spend it at some point and every time you have to spend it if you don't know how to use it then you're just stuck saying will anyone buy my bitcoin i need to spend it in an emergency and then you're at their mercy whoever wants to say oh yeah sure i'll do it. take a 20 percent fee to convert your your hodled Bitcoin into dollars so then you can actually pay your bills with it. And then all of a sudden it's just not as good. I, I'd prefer to, you know, live in the world of hodl rather than just dip my toes in it once in a while. It's a really good point. When you think about, I mean, it's even when you talk to some of the best money managers in the world and, and you watch some of this stuff that like Warren Buffett's never not invested. He's mm -hmm. always invested. Right. And so, mm -hmm. In essence, all he's doing is taking fiat and trying to invest as much as humanly possible. Even when the market's down, he's finding a way to invest. Mm -hmm. So if you're if you're a believer in what you're investing in, in the same way where he says, this is a forever hold, I'm going to buy Apple stock, I'm never going to sell it. Well, why wouldn't you, how nice would it be if you can just spend that when you needed it? Right? Yeah, so absolutely. we're going to see this kind of coalescence of, hey, I'm just going to, as opposed to taking money that I get, putting it into fiat, putting it into crypto, it's like, it just goes straight in. Now I don't need to worry about that in between and I'm invested in the community. So I think it's a really, a really good point. Yeah, very cool. I, I did, um, I, had a, I had a couple more questions around. I mean, we could probably go all day on Venezuela and the way that you kind of go through it, but I know we're, we're kind of coming up to it. So John, unless you've got anything else, I want to talk for the next six hours how to live off of cryptocurrency, but um, <laughs> we all have other things to do. Well, what you can do is go to YouTube and look up 
how to live on crypto in quotation marks. And I'm actually doing a video series on that. So there you go. That's, okay, send, that's send, a, me, send me a link. I'm going to watch all your videos. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, um, that's the homework for after the show, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll give you some love. We'll retweet those things. Yeah. Cool. I, I did have one more question, Ernesto on where, where people can go and they can build and get grants for, for building stuff. Do you guys have, because some people, you know, they just want to build and maybe they don't have an idea. Do you guys have like some preset ideas for people and, you know, almost like kind of like a bounty where it's like, hey, we'll give you this much to build this ne next piece of the infrastructure. Or is it just the entrepreneur comes in and says, here's my idea and submits it? Yeah. W what you've described is something that I've heard community members talk about, but we don't have, you know, like a path of saying, hey, you know, we want to build stuff around it. What we do have is that we've shared our, our strategy and we have a clear growth strategy from DCG. So some of the community members around the world, they say, hey, we can complement it this way. But what I would recommend to people is, you know, to follow DashPay on Twitter, go to our Discord, Instagram, and, and Dash Central, and they can start engaging with the community and talking to some older community members, to other community teams, and then figuring out how they can, number one, interact with the Dash teams around the world, and then number two, start getting, you know, information on how they can uh, draft their process or, or their project, I mean, to make sure that it gets support from Dash. So, you know, not not a very um, clear path for, for, you know, somebody to come and say, hey, we want to build A, because in reality, we're building everything as we walk. So many things are still... Uh, not in in our, in our vision, but hopefully people will come with with a nice complementary uh, vision of what they can do with this thing called Dash and this thing called platform, and, and we'll make it happen together. Yeah, I should also add that in that uh, Dev Discord, the the DashDevs.org, there are some explicit bounties there for uh, development projects. So if you're a developer, like a, you, you want to go build some of these things, there are some like hey, build this, there's just bounty for this. There are some more concrete ideas, but I guess the beauty of a truly decentralized uh, autonomous organization is, you know, just like the free market, it's the land of opportunity. You can, if you have a dream, you can figure out how to make it happen. Yeah, very cool. Well, Ernesto, Joel, really love what you guys are doing for the space and for the industry. Cool. Keep pushing, you know, we'll keep supporting you guys, um, but we love, we love what you guys are working on and thanks for coming on and John, as always. This is a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, thank you guys for the time and, and really enjoyed uh, talking to you and, and keep up the great job. Your, your platform is, is really cool. It's a great source of information and, and you have a big fan and user here. So thank you. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you.